And a happy Wednesday to you folks. It's hump day halfway through the week. And let me tell you, today is a great day for the little things in life. We've heard from many people who are unsure and uncertain about whether their work, their hard work is actually paying off, whether their dedication or their loyalty has merit anymore. Well, folks, don't get caught up in the things that you can't control in life. Take a look at the little successes you have Add those together, and they will open up new doors of life and success and happiness. Gratitude is a powerful practice, and it can revolutionize your life forever. Now let's get this party started on a hump day. It's Wednesday. Woohoo! It's time to play hard, work hard. Now let's play hard. Welcome to Hump Day, folks. It's Wednesday here at the Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. We've got a fantastic show in store for you today. It's the 3rd of February. My goodness. By the way, it was Groundhog's yesterday. Groundhog's Day. Groundhog Day. And my favorite holiday. Didn't even... Oxytonin. Didn't even mention it. Oxytonin. Nothing about it. We used to have a kegger every year in, in high school and college to celebrate Groundhog's Day because it was one of those ridiculous holidays that you just you got behind. Different and so times, man. I, Different I, times. As I finished the day and I looked in the mirror and self-reflected, mm-hmm. which I often do, I thought, how old am I that I can't even enjoy a good Groundhog's Day anymore? So anyway, did you like the movie? I love the movie. It annoyed me the first time I watched it. Not as much as What About Bob annoyed me the first time, <laughs> but I did like it. You know, I the thing I find interesting is that we like we argue all the time about what's happening with climate, but we're totally cool with taking our cues from a rodent. From a rodent. <laughs> Folks, this is the Play Hard, Work Hard Morning Show. That is Sterling. My name is Jason Spies. We are going to talk about a Super Bowl menu today. We're going to have on Carol Orangel a little bit later on with Premier Offshore Catering. He's going to be calling in in just a few minutes here to talk a little bit about their OCI luncheon. They're going to be catering in the Permian down in the Midland Odessa, it's the Midland chapter, where they're going to be doing the Mardi Gras party. That's on Thursday, tomorrow. And also, what else do we have coming up? Oh, our sponsors. on that menu. Yeah, I can't wait. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what they serve at their Super Bowl party. I'll have to ask. Sponsors for the week, Orange Property Management and Maxwell's Restaurant. Thank you very much for being the sponsors. Of course, the links are available at the website thecrudelife.com and we've got them available there orange property management of course does quite a bit of rental properties out in the bakken so thank you for being a sponsor of the program and we wanted to mention that our super bowl squares are filled out and All did we up. did we fix that logo for that guy uh we're getting it set up right now we had a protest already he sent in on he, he sent it in early so we went back to the time stamps and we had to bump a company, so there's already controversy. Controversy yeah. in the in the free Super Bowl <laughs> squares, and we want you know, and we're about fairness. We're about fairness. So um, it's amazing though when something's free, 
there's 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 sort of this uh, idea I, that they can just kind of lob anything at you and you'll and you'll do it. But so, hey, we, we got it taken care of. Do you know who I bumped? Hmm. One of my good old boys. You know, I primed the pump. I put you know a, a handful, less yeah. than a handful right. of companies. I threw in in the yeah. beginning. It's like seed stock. Without because I knew that they would want to go in yeah. and, and that sort of thing, but I didn't ask them. Okay, one of those got bumped. So okay. now I got to go back and. Say, ah, uh, you know what? Hey, you know that Super Bowl board that you didn't get in that you were in and you said, hey, cool, thanks for putting me in. Well, now I just out. had to take you out, so <laughs> I'll buy lunch. You know, it's one of those deals. <laughs> and, you know, half the people are going, oh, tip, 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 pat, 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 and the other half are going, been there. Yeah, yeah it's, you know, I mean, I guess we could do a Pro Bowl thing or something, but, you know. But off of the number of ones that got left out, seriously, I bet we have 30 companies, 30 companies at least, that are not going to get in this. Well, Super let's Bowl reach thing. out to those guys because it's March Madness before we know it. That is coming up, and we will be doing the March Madness as well. We did it last year. We had to improvise. That's how actually Sterling and I became acquainted with each other because of the beginning of the COVID shutdown. His business, which is affiliated with the real estate industry, kind of went on a little hiatus. So he started delivering the Uber foods. Through a uh, food dudes or whatever. Anyway, it's a, yep. it's it's the local regional. Yep. Uh, There's a couple of them in town, but yeah, actually, yeah. it was a good gig, and I got to meet Jason. And before I knew it, I was roped into playing a game, a dice game. He's like, "What are you doing there?" I'm like, "Well, the March Madness <laughs> got canceled, so I'm rolling dice because everybody's at home People watching can still social see the media, videos, can't they? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, they're available. because I mean, you got to see this arena he's built for this. So that's what drew me in. So I'm looking forward to us coming up with something cool for this year. Oh my god, we were so bored and so locked in, and well, that was everything. like month and two of the pandemic. You know, so. I still have people that come up to me and say that was the best thing of their 2020. Because it was different, it was fun. Everybody was at home. And it was at a time when no one really knew what to do, and there was no sports. There was no sports. Well, they had just canceled everything. Nothing. Vegas was canceled. (laughs) I mean, my goodness. The Catholic Church got canceled. But, you know, that's when I knew things were legitimate last year was when they canceled March Madness. That was the beginning. When when they shut that down, you go, oh, okay. As soon as the NBA player Rudy Gobert got that was the Jazz player, yep, the Utah yeah. Jazz. Yeah. Uh, as soon as he was tested, March Madness was next. That was a domino. Just and, boom, boom, boom. And what you said is exactly right. When they canceled March Madness, that was real. Yeah. Because that was tied to sports gambling, which was tied to bars, which was tied to you know advertising. That hit so many real economies mm-hmm. that everybody looks past. That it shocked. Yeah, people. right. Downstream, the, yeah. the bar, like you said, the liquor store, the you know the the fast food place that's close by. I mean, when, all of that stuff. When you think of say, uh, just take any any town with an NFL team. Mm-hmm. Okay, our closest is either uh, Minnesota, which is the Vikings, or Denver Broncos. Okay, so when you go to the Bakken. You are either a Minnesota Viking fan or you're a Denver Bronco really? fan. Really? You don't get a lot of Packer fans in there? Uh, you get some, but they get made fun of. <laughs> and you get some Chiefs, but they get made fun of. Sure. But, but primarily, it's the Broncos and the Vikes, okay? okay. And um, when you think about that, those bars and restaurants within a mile radius, which is a walking distance radius to the arena, mm-hmm. okay, they relied on those six Sundays, 12 Sundays, well, and 16 even, Sundays. Even the bar 300 miles away. Sundays. You know, I, I used to work at a bar years ago where Super Bowl Sunday, you know, that was where the owner, my boss, that's where he made, you know, maybe three or four months 
worth of income in we, that one day. We are 45 minutes from Lake Country, USA, Minnesota. Yeah. Okay. We, we seriously, like world renowned from the, uh, um, what's that, Boundary Waters down through the Mississippi, yeah. uh, Itasca State Park and, Minnesota during the summertime, you got it's one of the most populated states, just like South Dakota and the Black Hills. Okay. Right. Black Hills, another great example. Okay, the Black Hills. Literally, these places have three months to make their twelve months of income. Yeah. Ozarks, a lot down in the Ozarks, same way. They got a certain season. Yeah. In, in terms of uh, tourism. Yeah, it's that summer dollar. It's that tourist dollar. It's that influx of people going to the lake. Yeah, no, Northeast is the yeah. same way, up in the cottage countries of Maine and et cetera. So this isn't anything new. But when you take that away, it's really hard to go back to them and say, hey, we're all in this together. Yeah, well, and you know, you, you watch a company get spanked all summer long, and then this winter, you know, up here particularly, there's less snow, there's less ice, so the snowboat, the snowmobiling, all that stuff has been shutting down. You oh, know, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, it's just something I've been hearing about recently. You know, so it, it's like that combined with everything else that's happening is just sort of another gut punch. You know, for a lot of these small resort towns, that that's. That's where they make their money is the wintertime. There's been an odd um, up and down of the weather, too. So the, the lakes are, they're, they can't, like, they're canceling ice fishing tournaments. Yeah, I've seen so, patches on lakes I'm used to seeing totally frozen. People up here in the frozen frozen tundra mm-hmm. are so excited for these ice fishing tournaments because that's built for COVID. Yeah, it's, it's outdoors. Perfect. You can only let a certain amount of people in your it ice fishing lots cabins. Of drinking. It's drinking, yeah. TV, you know, satellite, internet, all kinds of stuff, it's right? beautiful. Now they cancel them because of the ice isn't strong enough. <sighs> and, and this weekend up here in North Dakota... Air temperature, ready for this? Mm-hmm. Minus 20 degrees. Air temperature, not wind chill. Right. Minus 20. How is that even a real thing? <laughs> how, how, is, how, how are humans able to live in an area where it is literally air temperature of minus 20 degrees? Right. Your diesel engine will gel up on the interstate. If you are driving in minus 20 degree in a weather, your diesel will gel up, okay? Oh, I've had it happen, not with the diesel. But yeah, man, you know what, though? You move up here and, one, the weather helps preserve you because you're frozen six to eight months out of the year. And two, only the hardy people and none of the, like, dangerous reptiles. So right? here's, here's, <laughs> here's our challenge this weekend. Is everybody wearing a North Face jacket? We got to go up to them and say, are you grateful for oil and gas? Because I am. It's minus 20 degrees and my house is 75 degrees. No, 80. I'm going to move it up to 80 today because I'm in America, hey, damn it. over here, even keeping it at 60 <laughs> feels really nice and snuggly. No, do you realize how ridiculous that sounds? Like, I I was, uh, you know, I like to have on old episodes of Parks and Rec, Office, Cheers, Trailer Park Boys. Uh, Shit's Creek, you know, yeah, it's it's my white noise when I'm working in the background. And there was Parks and Rec was last week, just because it was the last week before Peacock took away the oh yeah the, all the seasons. Yeah. So I thought yeah. oh, I'll stream as much as I can yeah. and this binging. and that. And it was the uh, season when Tom Tom's the name of the Indian, right? The Indian American Hal- Halford. Yeah, 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 he was dating Anne. The one <laughs> best line is when uh, the Office when. She's on The Office, Steve mm-hmm. Carell. 
you're you're very ethnic looking. Was your father a GI? <laughs> just <laughs> cringily offensive. That's just, the thing about that show, man. Just cringily yep. offensive. But so they're dating, and she's dating him because she can keep his apartment at eighty degrees. Yeah. Well, and she's got like like I mean, remember when she takes Leslie through on a tour? Of That's it? what I'm talking yeah, about. There's yeah. like there's like throw pillows and there's fresh cheeses and a, a cheese and meat board and all that kind of stuff. I'm ready yeah. to admit that I'm in love with him. For his apartment. And so she's like this big tour. And I thought, you know what, though? That's actually going to be a statement where we could say, remember the day when we could have our apartment at 75 degrees? Yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah. That, that Not to buzzkill, but after I said that, I went, wow, that's actually comedy well, you know, now. it's like you, you see the trucks that are they got the sign that says, you know, they're regulated. They, they, can, they can only go 65, right? Oh, that's a good point. I, well, I see that with our thermostats. We're out. already doing it with golf carts. Right? Yeah, I, I can't get my golf cart more than five miles an hour unless that kid shows me how to push that button right. How do you mod it? Oh, yeah. He goes, watch this. <laughs> Next thing we're going 25, 30 miles an hour through there doing some sort of jackass scene, you know? It's good times. Uh, if hey, you... speaking of North Face, yeah. one of the prizes we've got oh, yeah, we is, is a fire-resistant article of clothing, right? Something similar, but what was it again? I remember, I was trying to think about it. It was a customized... It's fire-resistant fire clothing. Resistant yeah, it's clothing. a jacket. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, oh, just we gotta, I can't wait because, till we get our know, studio North built. North Face is, you know, we've been talking about them oh, off goodness. and on the last couple of weeks. I got to turn my computer here. So um, I wasn't expecting to do it. Sorry to reading. throw you off there. Okay, what do we have here? So the Super Bowl squares. We might as well just do a quick reset. No, it's good because we got to actually, we, we, we were just. They were just talking. <laughs> Let's talk about some prices. We were just having coffee. Yeah. All right. So what we've got, folks, is we have the Super Bowl squares where we've got 100 different companies that are in this contest. And based on the final score of the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, final score, and we've even thrown in the time of the national anthem just to have a little fun, each one you get a prize. So based on the numbers, we've got a chart and a flow chart and how to do it. Here's the prizes we have. All right. For the total time of the national anthem, we've got two Chewy Paw Antler Chew Toys. But you might be able to hear Frackleberry Hound. Excuse me, one, because (laughs) she got in the prize closet and uh, she got one of the elk Chewy Paws. I'm just surprised that that's surprising to you. No, it's not. But the problem is, as as I was setting something up, I just left the prize closet open a crack. Yep. And like a little kid, you can't, you cannot turn away. And for she's a got second. like a half dozen of these things, but she wanted the shiny new one. She wanted the new shiny yeah, one. Yeah. No, but that someone else was going to get. Yeah, that's just it. That someone because she's got a box for him. Well, this could go out for like second place as a gently used chewy paw. So we're gonna we, we've we'll still give out the two chewy paw antlers, but it might be a, something other that's in the photo. The photo that's in yesterday's show page. One of those is gone now. We should take a picture of her with her new Chewy Paw and post it up. There. We'll do that yeah. because so she's can just... can see what it's like. 
Yeah, so you're not mad. Yeah. Right. <laughs> when, yeah. When, She's when got you, those puppy eyes, man. Come on. When, when we advertise, you get two Chewy Paw antler toys and you only get one and a half. That's why. Because <laughs> she's already eaten it. Frackleberry Hound. Well, as mad as you were, dude, you might want to send the dog along as one of the other prizes, right? All right. So at the end of the first quarter, so this is the first, uh, by the way, the national anthem, because, of course, there's always the joke of how long is the national anthem going to go this year? I don't even know who's singing it this year, by the way. Yeah, so no idea. We'll look that up a little bit later. The total time of the national anthem, Chewy Paws, Antler, Chew Toys. First quarter score, you get a WIC, that is a Williams Insulation Company tote and mouse pad. For the hundred, I'm sorry, for the second quarter score, a $100 gift card. Now, I did investigate this a little bit. Now, it's two $50 cards. Okay. And it looks like I saw one was from Uber Eats. Now, see, that is useful. So, what it what it is, is it's... It's a, it's the Eric Hatch package. Okay. Okay. And you know Eric Hatch. Yeah, okay. Eric from Hatch. Yep. For those of you listening who may not know Eric Hatch, Eric Hatch was a mid level realtor at Keller Williams and a youth pastor. Okay. He combined the two of those together and figured out a way to reinvent real estate by serving people by incorporating the whole philosophy of being a youth minister, pastor, and youth director. A youth director, a youth, not pastor. You got to go to seminary school for all that. I apologize for any of you seminarians out there that got offended on that. He's a youth director. And so he just took that. His, his book is about how to serve people. And the name of the book is called uh, Play for the Person Next to You. Okay, so that's, that's what it's about. And he took his philosophy and became a mid-level realtor, went on his own, and now, last I checked, was 67th in the nation. Yeah, you see his signs everywhere. You see uh, all I hear about is his efficiency rate. You know, that seems to be something that he's really well noted for is being able to turn around and sell a house quick. So he's he's very good at marketing, Mm -hmm. and even he admits he's a mascot when it comes to real estate now. And so what he's did is he's created a whole new company called Hatch Coaching. Yeah. And he goes, it's one of those pep rally guys, goes in and pep rallies your team, you know, and coaching. Well, you know, real but, estate is about relationships. Right. And having that kind of success is about being good with relationships. And to be successful in real estate, you got to do a lot of cold calling. And cold calling in today's day and age is really difficult because um, people are kind of mean. You know, I read statistically the average realtor will make less than $35,000 a year. That makes so sense. There's though. a lot. Yeah. You've got to beat a lot of yeah. street. I mean, you really got to get out there and hustle to make Real it estate work. is feast or famine. Yeah, very and, much so. And with the, whenever you got a feast or famine, the famine generally is second incomes. Mm-hmm. So a lot of wives or if the husband is the second income, uh, that's the traditional route. Yeah. I know it's all changed now, so don't get upset. No, a women. lot of realtors I know are, are it's a part-time. Yeah. You know, it's it's well, not their primary. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's full-time, but they say it's part-time. Right, but I mean, it's, you know, they also have an additional job. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, that's our second quarter score. Halftime score uh, is from Eric Hatch. It's his book as well as $100 because, you know, he does those date nights and, and free pie nights. Mm-hmm. So with Valentine's Day coming up, if you live in the fargo Moore area, you can go to his real estate office and he gives you a bottle of wine. And it used to be a Netflix video or a, um, um, a Blockbuster video or right. uh, Redbox. Red it was Redbox. Okay. Yep. So it's, it's, 
or it was mo- it was like a date night. It's a date night. Yeah. It was movie tickets for a while, but yeah. I saw the other day with COVID, he's got some new thing, but he's still doing the bottle of wine or pop or pizza, whatever it is. But he actually gives you a bottle of wine. Yeah, I mean that's incredible idea. But he makes you go out to his office to get it to get it. Yeah, genius. Good, hey, man, it would, it would genius. get you and me to go. But now I think even he has the realtors deliver it, which means that you got to go to his. Oh, well, sometimes when I'm, I'm doing an yeah. inspection on a staged home, there'll be a bottle of wine or yeah. there'll be some food stuff, candy, you know, not as much anymore. Now it's masks and booties and hand sanitizers. And actually, for all you out there in the marketing world, um, Eric Hatch and I, we, we've done a lot together in the past and we bounce ideas off each other, this and that. And I, and I will tell you about one conversation him and I had over 10, 15 years ago when he was first starting out. And I have the same conversation with everybody, Okay. Your marketing dollars are your marketing dollars. However you spend them is how you spend them. Okay, whether you, you're buying a business card or you're buying a billboard, whether you're buying a radio ad or you're, you're sponsoring a podcast, okay? Whatever your mark or you're, you're going to a golf event or you're putting your logo on a t-shirt, okay? Those are all marketing dollars. So we kind of went through all the different traditionals, went through the crazy ideas, and just things that really made sense and connect. So every Thanksgiving, you can get a pie, a pumpkin pie, cherry pie, or whatever from Hatch Realty. That's his marketing dollars, okay? Yeah. Those are his magnets Food on the is fridge. A powerful marketing dollar. But it's a connection with people on yeah. a different level. Yeah. Um, every summer, he throws a party in his parking lot. Free food. Uh, he gets a whole. Uh, he got North Dakota State to donate a hog one year. Yeah. So he goes out and builds relationships, and and brings it. In fact, he brought in the Moody River Band one year. Well, he year. does a good job at leveraging that too. That's so exactly that, you know, right. And that's that's you know as a smaller operator, you know, in in the home inspection business, one of the things I found effective is is marketing dollars is uh, candy. Seriously, taking candy to the different real estate offices for the front desk person, mm-hmm. you know, for the realtors, dropping off business cards. Because oftentimes with at least what I do is the last person they're thinking of is the first person they'll call when they need it. You know, my most successful meeting was to a group of realtors, actually. It's funny because it was for one of my publications back in the day. Okay. okay? And I was running late and I was I was really upset because... I like to grab donuts, donuts or bagels yeah. or both, you know, it's bagels wrong and donuts. showing up with donuts. Yeah, bagels and donuts. You know, all donuts, sometimes there's health conscious people that won't eat them. And so, you know, that's why the bagels are in there. And you know what, and but the other and people so, that do eat them are, are thankful to have extra donuts. And so the guy goes, I was on my phone back when it was okay to drive with your cell phone. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to a friend of mine in the water cooling, heating and cooling business, okay? So that guy deals with a lot of blue collar people and a lot of different different people from a lot of different walks of life. And I go, man, I feel like I'm walking into this meeting naked. I got no, I got no donuts. I got no bagels. No offering. I got no offering here. What's going on? And he goes, shit, just... Run through the McDonald's drive-through and pick up some egg McMuffins. Oh, there you go. And I did. I got egg McMuffins and sausage biscuits. Oh man, dude, that it didn't even oh. matter what I said at that point. Oh, it was they were like, too busy eating. Oh man, and great still, meeting, Jason. People would come up to me later, like, "Hey, you know, you're welcome back anytime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bring those, bring yeah. that McDonald's <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> the well, ninety-nine yeah. cent menu. There's something powerful <laughs> about food, right? <laughs> but the grease, but the grease. 
Huckleberry see McDonald's, grease. you know. I just thought, uh, half of our hungover, they went for the sausage biscuits. Right. Because that just carbs. soaks it all yeah, up. Yeah, soak it up. All right. So what else do we got here? By the way, for the third quarter... I was climate activist back again, Frackleberry Hounds doing her job. I think we're just making her hungry. So for the third quarter, we got the 40-foot BHA tape measure from American Directional Drilling. So that, by the way, big value there because yes. that's a 40-footer. It's, it's high quality. It's an expensive piece of equipment, well needed yeah, in well the industry. Needed. Yep. I just got an email from him this morning. There might be a second prize on that really? as well because he's got a new product now. Jimmy's got a new product. <laughs> what does he got? What does he got for well, us? Well, I don't want to spoil it for Jimmy. Oh, man. Jimmy's going to find some time for us a little bit later on this week. So okay. Jimmy with American Directional Drilling will be joining us sometime over the next Thing's week. Thing's awesome. It also looks find like it double as a hammer. Now, the fourth quarter, this is kind of the main event here. Fourth quarter. At the end of the fourth quarter, the person with the square will receive a fire-resistant jacket courtesy of Becker Safety and Supply. $290 offer. $290, I think it was 45 or 90 Yeah. Close to $300. Yeah. <laughs> you like that? Or you just round up there? You sound like Bob Barker right there. <laughs> and, of course, the final score is the annual Crude Life sponsorship, which is really funny because this is why we know we have a winner here. Not only did we get 130 companies in basically six days to, to sign up when we we're only looking for a hundred. We were just gonna give away, we weren't gonna give away anything. Yeah. And then I thought, you know what, let's give away something. So Make we'll it just fun, give right? we'll, you gotta Yeah, we'll give away a sponsorship. Yeah. You know, I mean it's a fifteen hundred dollar value. Okay. Now that's our value. Yeah, you're right? committing me to that. Thank you. Yeah. And that's easy for us to give away because that's ours. Yeah, well, it's just our time. So then I started, you know, thinking a little bit. Well, then Devin Becker, Becker Safety and Supply, reaches out and says, hey, we want to be a part of this. We'll give away this fire-resistant jacket. I thought, that's expensive. I go, I actually, yeah, that's, I, I actually emailed him back. I said, dude, that's like a main event yeah, prize. Yeah, that's like, that's that's the prize. So what's the value? And yeah. he sent it back. And it was either 245 or 290 So We're going to say close almost to 300 Almost $300. Yeah, there we go. But it's, you know, I mean, it's practical too. So, so you, had to, you had to bring something up the game. Right? I did. And so really at the end of the day, what I'm, what I'm telling you folks is that if the final score is the same as the fourth quarter score, they hog oh, man. the jacket they and the sponsorship. And the sponsorship. That's like a $2,000 prize. Think about that. Yeah. That, that. That just came out of my mouth. That's like a $2,000 prize. Just giving it away. That we just, just impulsively decided to give yeah. away a week ago. <laughs> Jeez, we got to stop. We got to get back to work because yeah. this COVID, we come up we're with gonna, too many harebrained ideas. Well, we, come up, we come up with a lot of giveaways. I've can noticed. you imagine what our trip to Colorado is going to be like? With the harebrained ideas we can come up with there? <laughs> spending, spending a few hey, we days. We might not even come back. Spending a few days in Boulder and hippie land like Fort Collins. We should do an on-the-ground live show as we're you know going through the different areas there. You think? Well, yeah, we got to. I mean, I'm, I'm heading to Colorado. Is it a week and a half? Okay. I got to head out there. Yeah, I got, I got to head out there. So if you're coming, you're coming. But if not, I got to find a co-host out in Colorado. Hopefully, I can find a date out there, too. That'd be Maybe fun. Maybe you could combine the two, and then you wouldn't even need me anymore. Do uh, Go on a date and do the show at the same time? Well, find somebody who's your date and the show. 
Well, that's a different site. <laughs> By the way, I see the phone line is ringing, so thank goodness, Carol. Let's talk about some food. Orange L is saved by the bell here for, whew, before we got a little too playing hard here in the morning. But all right, folks, we come back. Carol Orange L with Premier Offshore Catering. They are catering tomorrow's event down in the Midland, the Mardi Gras OCI lunch, and it's going to be catered with a little bit of Bayou Cajun flavor. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. We'll be back with our Swan Energy phone lines and Carol Orangel with Premier Offshore Catering. I feel all right. Well, I'm doing okay. Well, I'm here for the moment, you know, and then I'm on my way. Music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866 866- Five three nine zero eight six zero. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey, folks, Jason Spees with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest if you're interested in sustainable forests growing industry jobs check out the industrialforest.com that's the industrialforest.com play hard work hard now let's play hard Welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Sterling is here. Jason Spies is here. And we've got Carol Orange Lee. Orangel. I was going to say Angelina, but it's Carol Orangel with Premier Offshore Catering. How are you doing today? How did I butcher your name so bad, sir? Oh, uh, hey, look. You got to. You, 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 you're, on the, you're on the air, buddy. Let's go. I know. And, the, and I always tell Sterling that, you know, when you're live on the air, you don't do anything wrong ever. You meant to do that. I meant to mispronounce your name so we could put focus on your name so people do not forget who we're talking to. This is all part of the strategy, Carol. Uh, by the way, how is Premier Offshore Catering? Boy, great name, by the way. It says everything right in the name. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. The good Lord has really been blessed. We've been blessed by the good Lord, and uh, you know, with the uh, with the virus and everything going on, we've we've kept going, and uh, it, it's like it, it never happened to us. And uh, we're very fortunate. Uh, I guess it's it's good service and the quality of people that we have. It it it, it reflected. It reflects a lot on what 
kind of business we're running. So offshore catering now is is yes. it exactly in its name? I mean, you've got these offshore rigs. They're you know they're ten miles, twenty miles, a hundred miles off the coast. Exactly. Am, am, am I am I understanding your company name right? That you guys actually cater to these rigs offshore. Exactly, and 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 you know it's it's like a it's really like a hospitality service. We we do just like a hotel. We clean the rooms clean up all their clothes and everything and we send groceries out there with cooks and everything is prepared a hot meal you know on on the rig they got the galley with the stoves and everything man i bet that's a whole other challenge so everything's done on the rig that's pretty remarkable you know in the early days of the hundred dollar oil bach and boom where I'm from, up in the up in the Rocky Mountain region, right? There was people that were going to the uh, they called them man camps back in the day, and then they went through the term crew camp, and I think they're called temporary housing now. Um, exactly. Yeah, is 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 that or workforce housing? Is there were guys, and they're still doing this in certain uh, Native American reservations, but they would just drive into these these different places with a flatbed full of toiletries. So you'd have your toothpaste and your toothbrush and your toilet paper and your, you know, sardines yeah. and just things so people didn't have to run to the grocery store and run to the convenience store. That's what you reminded me of with your description yep. there, Carol. Exactly. How, how, do, do, do you get like, do people say, hey, Carol, next time you c- come, can you bring, you know, a latest issue of the Louisiana Journal Times or anything like that? No, we, they, they usually, they order that and don't. With the helicopter service that they have and everything, they get the newspapers. A lot of them get it get it every day, especially on these uh, production platforms. You know, they 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 do the same thing as your, your drilling rigs. They'll they'll get gross. Well, we send groceries once a week. Okay. And then, but they they always having some stuff missing. You know, not in the groceries, but uh, you know to take care of their business while they're drilling they might have a port that they need a port might break down so the helicopter's got to go back and forth or transportation by boat so they they're up to date with everything and of course they have they have a cable and everything offshore also they they get the news every day every hour they watch it movies so it's they have a workout room if you want to go work out and it's first class. So you actually get to ride in the helicopter? Yes. That's pretty uh, neat, man. That's and but but there, you can get there by boat and what is there like an elevator or do you got to take a rope ladder? Especially when you get when you flying over and all you see is that big drill ship or drill, you know, uh, uh, all iron and it's floating in the in the freaking Gulf. So. How does it happen that way? It's it's amazing. It's absolutely remarkable. I mean, yeah, I, I really cool. I've got friends of mine that go fishing in the Gulf, and they like to you know drive the boats right up to those rigs, you know, against the big columns in the sea, you know, that type of thing. Because oftentimes right. some fish hang out by there because they they they, they, they pick on they, the barnacles and things. They do big time. That's great fishing there. 
you know, I wonder too, it's like it, it, most people don't think about how, how you feed people out on a rig. So I'm really curious, you know, what's, what's the, what's on the menu and, and what kind of challenges do you face being able to, you know, logistically get things out there and prepare them in a way that it's great food? Well, I tell you what, these people, they, they really, they, they eat great, they're spoiled. Uh, <laughs> I have, a, a like my, my company, and most of the catering companies have the same thing. We have a four-week menu plan, and it's uh, we like to follow it, but let's say you haven't tried chicken and the people don't want the fried chicken. They want baked chicken or something else. So we let the cook be, you know, uh, uh, we let them do whatever they want. You know, they 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 can replace whatever they want. Well, but give them options. On, yeah. On on Saturday, Tuesday and Saturdays, we have steak day, so they eat nice. they eat ribeyes or prime rib uh, every every Tuesday and every Saturday. Friday is seafood. Mm. S- uh, Sunday is. You know, usually like finger food, like a pizza, hamburgers, hot dog, because we got to clean up the, the galley on Sundays. Right. So. Man, that sounds delicious. Steak and but prime. Good. Yeah. Twice a week. I'm there. Twice a week. It's Can- like that old saying, you call, we haul. That's all. <laughs> Premier Offshore Catering. Carol Orangel on the line with us. He's going to be catering the Mardi Gras luncheon for the OCI coming up on Thursday. I hear you driving your way right there. We'll talk about that menu in just a second. But first, we wanted to talk a little Super Bowl with you, if you didn't mind. Um, You know, big Super Bowl this weekend. Of course, traditionally speaking, Super Bowl is like the biggest party day of the year for eating you know guacamole nachos chips wings pizza but i'd like to know what's on your super bowl menu what kind of stuff if if you had a perfect super bowl menu that sky's the limit if you were catering to someone what type of thing would you like to serve at a super bowl well, bring, being from South Louisiana, you know we're going to have to have crawfish. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and probably some crab cakes. We'll have uh, oysters on a half shell, probably charbroil oysters. We'll have boudin. We'll have cracklings. We'll have hoggate cheese. Uh, a lot of fried foods. Fried shrimp, fried oysters, so... Mm. And, and of course, we're leaving out the gumbo. We gotta have gumbo. <laughs> gumbo, yeah. Now, how do you make your gumbo? Well, I make my roux in the oven first okay. of all. And if I'm making seafood gumbo, it's seafood in it. And if I'm making chicken and sausage gumbo, there's no mixture of either one. Like a, a chicken gumbo, chicken and sausage. I'll take hens. And I'll ball, ball my hands to make stock. And then I add my roux and my, I add my sausage and I add uh, usually uh, boneless chicken thigh meat. A little more moisture in that thigh meat, fact, yeah. As a matter of fact, Thursday, if y'all want to come have lunch, <sighs> I, got, I got chicken and sausage gumbo there. Okay. Chicken and sausage and, gumbo. Man, that sounds amazing. I might as well go through the menu. We're going to have chicken and sausage gumbo. We're going to have uh, 
crawfish etouffee, potato salad, and coleslaw. And for dessert, we have a banana foster. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Absolutely delicious. I want to go back to your seafood gumbo for a second. What's in your seafood gumbo? Okay, seafood gumbo, I'll take either the shrimp heads just and, and boil that, make a stock with it, and then, you know, put the roux in and just add a little uh, seafood base to it. And, of course, our seasoning, we, we use, I use salt, cayenne, black pepper, and uh, we do the onions and bell pepper in it, and that's it. I'll tell you, the and one, I, the, the one thing that... Oh. I'll let it boil for about an hour, an hour and a half, and then I'll add my seafood towards the end and cook that for about 15, 20 minutes, and it's done. You see, the one thing that you've said in both of these that I know you're legit and the real deal is you start with an authentic stock. And exactly. without the authentic stock, it's just missing that flavor, in my opinion. Exactly. And a lot of times I'm, I'm going to put some, uh, some dry shrimp to make the stock. And, and the thing is, is you can enhance the stock, but if you don't start with that authentic stock, it's almost like when they, they have banana-flavored candy, it's just not banana-flavored. You can tell, no matter what. That's right. But, but, if you, but, but, but if you try to add anything to a real banana, you can never escape that flavor of a banana. So it's just... It's uh, it's it's a good thing with that. Now, do you um, do you do anything with your oysters when it comes to catering, or does that get a little bit too dicey when it comes to public health issues and things? No, no, and oysters, it's a lot of trouble. It's a, it's hard work to do all this, and you know, you got a lot of people is going to eat a dozen, and if if you have if you're doing a party for fifty people and they all want a dozen, that's that's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, just shucking them alone. Right yeah. Well, you're yeah, making me seriously reconsider my uh, Super Bowl plans of, uh, you know, homemade nachos and a bag of chips. So. Oh, yeah. Well, we I'm invited to a party in, in Lafayette, as a matter of fact, and they have little uh, lamb poppies, like lamb, little lamb chops. They have, <sighs> I mean, you name it, he's got it. So. So I was thinking about doing a paella for my Super Bowl, but I'm I'm very scared cooking with saffron because I'm I do not like baking because you have to follow instructions. But when it comes to cooking, you can just kind of freeform. Wing it. Saffron, you gotta you, you gotta you, you gotta pay attention. Yeah. So have you ever cooked you with saffron? You gotta pay close attention to it. God damn it, close but attention! I said it. I said attention. You said close attention. Damn it. <laughs> Well, you gotta you gotta be careful what you're doing with it. But us, we we hardly ever use saffron, and we we make jambalaya. I, I mean, it's and I, I'll make my jambalaya with pork, chicken, and and fresh sausage. See, and, and paella is not much different. It's just Spanish. I always looked at it as seriously Spanish is like the 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 Spanish version of pie, of gumbo because it's pork, chicken, seafood, rice, and but and you make it very similarly. It's a very but, similar. Yeah, it's like a long long format stew. <laughs> exactly. Well, you got to layer it. If you're gonna do it right, you yeah. Gotta, I was gonna yeah. say if you're gonna do it yeah, right, it's you, all about the timing and layering. You listen to him. I mean, he's talking about timing and putting certain things in, and when you got to put the seafood in because you can't overcook it or it's going to get stringy and it's going to start like potatoes. Potatoes start taking on the, the texture. And Sorry, man, I get hungry now. Okay. Yeah, is it lunchtime? 
Well, okay, so you guys are going to be doing some onshore catering at the OCI event for their Mardi Gras party in uh, right in between Midland and Odessa there. Exactly. At, at the Petroleum Institute. I believe that's Thursday, right? Tomorrow? Right. Thursday, okay. Thursday, so. 1130. And, you know, I want to give a shout-out to Tiffany Wilson that really put all this together and invited me to come do this for them. Uh, Tiffany works for Aries. And I tell you what, uh, she, she's she's really she's really done a great job in recruiting us, and you know, getting everything ready for us. So you guys obviously do onshore catering as well as offshore catering. Uh, offshore, yeah. I imagine, is probably the bulk of your business, but you guys do onshore, huh? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, I have a, a land camp in uh, in Carrizo Springs for uh, energy transfer. It's a pipeline company, and uh, we, we we catered that part of for that part of the country for them. Okay, okay. And how many say I don't know how many offshore rigs a year do you do? Well, we have I have about twenty twenty one twenty two locations right now throughout the Gulf and and. And everything, and a lot of them we have. We, we do construction work with those that go around, and and you know they're they're tearing down a lot of stuff in the Gulf structures and everything. So you know it's a mixture of of drilling and and production and construction. So I got a weird question for you here. And, uh-huh. you know, and then we'll let you get on with your day. And I, I thank you for coming on and talking about what, what you have going on and uh, cooking on the menu here and get, giving us some Super Bowl tips. Making but, us both hungry. You know, every time I go visit a well pad, I'm just so blown away at the advancements of innovation and just really this, this mammoth machine, really. Just so many different technologies put into this different area i couldn't even imagine what it would be like getting there on a helicopter and then all of a sudden you're on this big island that's extracting and harvesting oil i mean are you still awestruck by it or is it kind of like second news to you now uh it's like yeah it's like you know once you do it a few a couple of years you know you get used to it oh wow that's uh, that's incredible. See, I still get awestruck every time. I'm like, whoa! Look at how tall that they got to climb up there, and they yeah, got to change like those frack pipes. And, out there, yeah. yeah I just I'm still blown away by it. So, and then you know, if you got to go by, by so a lot of times our, our crew boat, we go by crew boat, and then you you get people that get seasick, and then <laughs> once they get there, they got to turn around and come back because they can't stick. So it, it's it, it's challenging, you know. Yeah. Is there, by the way, do you have a distance look, uh, as far as how far you go out into the sea or how far you go into no. land? No. I mean, we've, we've gone offshore like almost 100 miles. and We were probably real close to Cuba at, at certain times. Any fishing? No, no fishing. Okay. Uh-uh. You, can't, you can't do any of that fun stuff when nobody's looking? No, somebody yeah. might get hurt. They got work to do, man. You Food know, to make. You, you can't do it. Well, you never know. Fresh catch of the day could mean oh, a lot sure. out of 100 yeah, miles out in the yeah, ocean. You sounds know? like they got a pretty yeah. well-planned menu. Yeah, you know, I'm sure some, some of them might sneak a little fishing in, but 
we we not my people. I don't want them doing that. It's it's not not feasible. Not that fresh. <laughs> not that fresh of a catch. Right. Okay. Well, sir, uh, do you do you do any um, any sort of steaks or anything like that, or you just kind of fix stick with the southern type of a cooking? Oh no, we we do a lot, uh, you know, and I've I've gone cook all over the I've cooked all over the world, represented uh, the United States and Louisiana. Uh, the embassy calls me the international food show in uh, Osaka, Japan, which is every four years. Wow. And cool. Cajun food was the, the the main the main course there, so they selected me, and I went. I brought a Cajun band also over there, and we stayed there for three weeks. And awesome. I've gone to Tunisia, I've gone to <clears throat> Vietnam, I've gone to New Zealand, and I've gone to Australia, representing the United States there. Are you gonna Are you gonna cook your gumbo? Is that what you're gonna cook? No, we. I'm. I'm not doing this anymore. It's. I'm. I'm getting. I've done it, and it's. It's kind of hard work, you know. And you. You got to be there with them all the time to make sure that they're doing the right, following the right recipes. And oh yeah. It's just. I just. I'm. I'm not doing it anymore. Sounds like a great experience. I enjoyed doing what I did when I went overseas international and everything. So, Well, that sounds like a fun life experience. And we'll have to have you up to the Bakken for the Bakken barbecue and maybe have you cook some Southern flavor up here as we, you know, a lot of times uh-huh. it's, uh, you know, the ribs and the brisket. And yeah, here. it's the same old, same old. Not yep. that there's anything wrong with no, that. It's but, good food, but, but it'd be interesting. We'll, we'll have to get you sponsored and bring you up here and figure out a way to do it. So, well, sir, how can people get in touch with you and uh, get get you some business? Well, they can look me up on my website. I have a little website, and we're, we're actually working on a, a new website. But uh, you can also call me at 985-518-1207. And also my email address, it's carol, C-A-R-R-O-L-L dot A at premiereocinc.com. And we'll make sure we have those links and phone numbers available at our website on the show page here for the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Well, sir, drive safe. We'll see you Thursday at the OCI Mardi Gras Luncheon happening at, what'd you say, 11, 11.30 over at the Petroleum Museum yes. between Midland yes. and Odessa. And we're going to laisser le bon temps rouler. Let the good time roll. Rain and take blues in a misery mansion. Mississippi woman with a West Virginia man. If you've got the money, well, stay a little longer. It's funny how time slips away in the dark side. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard.
is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. Our studio sponsor will be announced next week as we have a studio sponsor and our weekly sponsors this week, Orange Property Management and Maxwell's Restaurant and Bar. If you, if, uh, by the way, if you ever go to Maxwell's, you gotta, you know, you don't like seafood. No, that's right. But they do have linen napkins. It, they do, and they've got amazing steaks. Mm-hmm. They got a meatloaf there too. They also have uh, what else? Is it, they're on their bar menu. They got some really good ribs. Yeah. That I think you might enjoy. So. Yeah, I mean, I am perfectly happy finding meat choices. I mean, I, even if they're seafood, I can find something at Red Lobster, man. I love the fact they have fresh seafood flown in every single day, so they got a catch of the day, if you will. Yeah. Flown in of the day here in the... Well, we're landlocked, so, yeah, you know... everything has to be flown in Again, th- thank you, f- petroleum fuel, yeah. fossil fuels... Thank you for the gas to do that. ...for being able to do that. I mean, you know, you don't want to get all pandery, but at the same time, when you start thinking about it, like, I like sushi, but if we did not live in a world with easy transportation and fossil fuel, the, this quality of life, there's no way in hell I'm eating sushi Yeah, well, if it, if it comes from something that's green. Exactly. I mean, we haven't even got to that whole vein of how my lifestyle is going to change. Seriously, who, who would have... It's the, kimchi at that point, isn't it? it? Totally. Who would have the guts to eat sushi that's, that's coming to you in a non-fossil fuel world? I'm sorry. I'm processing. Yeah, we carted this. this in from California. It's only six weeks old, but we salted it. So <laughs> you got spam. Here you go, it's, man. It's like when you go to Hawaii. They got the spam, the muzambi or whatever it's called, where it's rice and seaweed wrapped in spam. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, spam is huge in different parts of the Pacific. I understand. Oh, it's like huge. It's what the Americans brought. Yeah, the Hawaii. GIs took it over yeah. there. Samoa, Guam. I, I love the history of of Hawaii. Yeah, absolutely great. Starts as a volcanic plume, so it's eventually just basically a black rock in the middle of nowhere. Okay, four thousand miles from Japan, two thousand miles from the coast of of America, the most remote island in the world that nothing is native to. Nothing. There's nothing native to Hawaii. And yet... Birds pooped on it, created yep. 
trees and foliage. Some of the most fertile land in the world. Right, over time, because it was untouched over time. Yep. Well, then the, the Samoan population, the Pacific Rim actually found it and took it over and this and that, had bananas and papayas and guava and avocado and these different things. Well, then America comes. What do we bring them? Spam. We bring them spam, nuclearized weapons, a leper colony, and macaroni salad. That's about what the Americans brought Hawaii. You know, there's some pros and cons there, man. (laughs) The wind turbines are atrocious there. They're so ugly. It was the first thing I saw when I I landed in Maui Mm -hmm. was a bunch of wind turbines not moving. And Maui is the second windiest port in the world behind New Zealand. Yeah. But the problem is if you have too much wind, the turbines never go. See, what I'd do is I'd plug my turbine into a diesel generator. <laughs> they do that in Australia, actually. For electric cars, they have, they have big, giant um, diesel generators hooked up to electric charging stations because they have to. Well, see, and rather than to go across those deserts, exactly, and and I'm not trying to be snarky and and pick on it, but it's it's a great example of how you really have to work together. Yeah, right. You want an electric car? There's probably going to be some internal combustion involved, at least for the near future, right? One of our most popular interviews we did at the Crude Life was these two crazy yahoos down in Kansas. They had solar panels hooked up to their their rig. They had one of the donkey rigs, you know, going up and down. And basically to offset the energy needed, they had, it was like a half a dozen solar panels, mm-hmm. maybe 12, whatever it was. It was fair, but the, the visual was hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious. You have a whole roll of solar panels hooked up to an oil well. Yeah. And I thought, baby, that's the future. That is. That, that's what it's all about yeah. right there. Yeah. yeah. Well, it should be too. I mean, is it should be is that they should work in tandem. They should be able to supplement each other. It's just whatever makes sense. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you use what sense. you have that makes sense. Yeah. Don't try to force people to do something they don't have. And we've got, uh, oh boy, we got Otis coming in studio, Frackleberry Hound. We got a full house here today. Let's get to news. Let's get to news. All right. So let's start here in California. Always a favorite topic. We're not in California. <laughs> California Governor Gavin Newsom, despite pledge, signed 1,709 oil and gas production permits. So Wait, what was that again? Busy. Repeat that again. Repeat that. Man, you always make me repeat. Well, that. sometimes there's something. It's it sounds a little too Orwellian to me. Sure. Because California didn't they? Oh no, that was New York that banned uh, natural, natural gas. gas. Yeah. Okay. okay, so California, California Governor Gavin Newsom. They're just known for raising the price on everything to put you out of business if you're in fossil fuels. Is that well, what they're doing? I think in New York, I can't get that 64 ounce super slush. I like New York City. So anyway, get a rope. California Governor Gavin Newsom, despite pledge, apparently, to not sign permits, he has signed almost 2,000 oil and gas production permits. That's what it was. He signed a pledge and all this other stuff. Okay. All right. So he found out the pledge didn't work. So out of all of Joe Biden's administration's suite of executive decisions on climate signed on Wednesday, advocates in California have latched on to one in particular. Time out. Does, Does the article actually say sweet? It does. S U I T E. Yes, it does. That's awesome. Like he signs so many. The correct actual <laughs> associated we've, we've gone press past parcel and bunch to sweet. <laughs> sweet. We got a a, a smandering. I mean, what's that sounds that? presidential. A sweet. Right? I know. That's. You know? I thought I was very impressed yeah, with it. That's okay. Go you on. thought I was making words up, huh? 
Okay, so it was a promise to halt new oil and gas lease sales on public lands and offshore and to review existing leases. So that was the pledge, right? That's the executive order. So some of them hoped the move could inspire similar action by Gavin Newsom, the California governor, which has so far proved more than 8,000 oil and gas permits on state lands. Okay. So what they're saying is... They don't think the president's order will have a huge effect on oil and gas production in California. Production on federal land accounts for less than 10% of all drilling in the state. Well, it's 10% across the nation. Uh, f- federally, too, I believe. It's, it's 10%, actually. Not Overall. only not, not only in California, but also, I believe, it is 10% nationwide for nationwide. Scale. It doesn't say here. But. but North Dakota, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, Nevada, those are the states that are going to get hit not only hard but it's the bulk of their economy and what the politicians have done over the last 10 to 15 years because of the shale boom is they've tied everything to it everything is tied to it i mean if if you want a nice school you better hope for 60 dollar oil yeah honestly that that's what the politicians have done so when they're trying to eliminate it by just saying oh well let's get rid of it tomorrow that sounds fun it's it, that that's why I'm blown away because even from the political side just you can't do it. Like North Dakota is playing Keystone Coppers out there trying to trying to play this shell game of PR because 55% of their state budget is tied to two oil and gas taxes. Mm-hmm. So if the oil and gas industry says bye-bye, which by the way, they've been up front since day 1, saying that if oil hits X, we're gone. Yeah. That's why Lynn Helms goes around and says when, when the rigs hit about 10, he starts sounding alarms saying, don't let them leave. Don't let them leave. And he's saying it more from an industry standpoint, saying, do you know how hard it is to get people to come back up to North Dakota after they leave here and go get a new job? Yeah. It's very hard. He's not even putting into fact that 55% of the state budget is tied. So... These these the the kids need new shoes and need new books. Well, blame the oil companies. Yeah. That's what's happening there. So anyway. well, they're always you know they're always sort of the fall guy for that type of thing. And shoot, I mean in California, there's wells that I've read about that are, that are concealed. Right? They're like they're downtown L.A., but they look like an office building, but it's a well inside of it. You know, and so the the lengths to go to disconnect. You know, it's like. I drove over here in my car, but I'm going to sit here and bash on gasoline, even though it would have taken me a day and a half on foot to get here. Right. right? You know, so it just doesn't make sense to me. It's like, don't bash on it. Come up with some solutions. Exactly. That's that's what I don't understand is that this whole polarizing part when you don't even need to go very deep into this whole context or argument or subject it's not even an argument just the subject these the 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 amount of reporting and discourse public discourse by high paid public officials how shallow it is i swear to god you would need a ladder to touch a snake's belly dude we can't even agree on straws that's what i mean i mean so let's assume just for a second hypothetically that every of the worst prognication of a scientist about the the climate change is coming right 
if we're sitting around dorking around with straws, if that's where we're at, instead of trying to figure out a way for us to figure out a way forward, an actual way forward, we've got resources, we have to use them to get better. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. So why spend all this time? I mean, it's it's a shallow victory. Yeah, I was going to say. It's a shallow victory. A, a, everything we're doing permits. is so shallow right now that, you know, no wonder Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper are still probably number one with that song. It's still one of the top songs. It never seems heard it. like. Never heard it. You've never heard I Shallow from um, no. uh, the uh, uh, Stars Didn't Born? see the movie. Haven't seen Stars the, Born soundtrack? No, I do like Lady Gaga. Okay. Right well, anyway, it's, you know, the soundtrack still is, okay. to, is, to check is it top out selling. Yeah. But yeah, you're, I mean, it's just a recycled argument, you know? I mean, it's like, I'm reading this headline going, okay, well, how's Jason going to react to this? Because you could either be upset or you could actually be kind of amused by the fact that you've got the environmental activisms sort of eating each other on this one, right? It's okay for Native Americans uh, to continue drilling because we have guilt about that and they should have their own sovereignty, but <laughs> it's not okay that we drill over here. So how is that actually helping the environment? I, it's it's so different the level of picking and choosing which day you're going to say which argument really I mean it, it's so remarkable we talked about this yesterday with Tesla where I swear to God Tesla can would come out tomorrow and say he bought an oil company and nobody would take him to task yeah. nobody they would applaud it so. That that's it. Seems like we live in kind of one of those 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 worlds now where they can just do whatever they want. Well, you know, and there's I mean, no there's no accountability to hold them to hold their platitudes accountable. I guess I don't know. I'm not know, making any sense here. Go ahead. It goes back to what we were saying just the other day about uh, how we pick on new pipelines like the Keystone. But nobody's talking about existing pipelines, which from an environmental point of view, probably have more of an argument, right? If they're aged or, or they're, you know, they've been around for 20, 30 years or something like that. But we don't, we don't tend to pick on the things that we already have and we take for granted and we don't even think about. But when somebody's building a new pipeline, that gives something, you know, there's a, ba- there's a place to focus. Mm-hmm. And it, so it comes down to it. It has almost nothing to do with the actual pipeline or the people that live by it or the potential damage to the environment. It, it's, it's a statement. It's a place to go make a stand. So what is this point of the story, by the way? Well, you know, that's the interesting thing. Is, is, it, just a so, is it just a big social shame? It's, it's, a, it's another case of pointing out someone's hypocrisy, okay. which if, if the last couple of years have taught me anything is, is getting outraged or upset because someone is hypocrisy. But he signed a pledge. Is, yeah, but so what? Yeah, but he signed a pledge. But that's the thing is it doesn't mean anything anymore. No, but he signed a pledge. It's a little bit different if you just go out and say it. Now, if you sign a pledge, you okay, now it's in writing. Okay, yeah. you, you, you have... No, that's a fair news story. That is a fair news story because the news story is about him going against his pledge. So, therefore, he's not quite the man of character that you'd expect in that office. Now, if he was somebody who said, hey... I'm just going to platitude and say platitudes. Well, then you can always go back and say, yeah, I didn't really mean it like that. But when you actually sign the pledge, you're saying, yeah, I agree with everything that's in here. See, I would like a governor like him to stand up and say, you know what? I can be for the environment and also for the thousands of jobs that are directly connected to oil and gas. I can care about both. 
right? You'd think that they can. And not take heat. That's the thing is it's all about shoring up your base, right? So you get these people, these politicians where it's like they don't have to, to actually find compromise. They just say stuff, they make pledges, and then reality comes in. Hey, man, as long as you got money to get elected, you can keep doing it. What's next? <laughs> All righty, here we go. This is a little bit better. Edge LNG expands U.S. footprint with a new Permian facility. Located in the heart of the Permian, the 10,000-square-foot facility allows Edge LNG access to all major transport links, which is vital in the transportation of LNG through its virtual pipeline, and especially since with New York and all the stuff they've got coming up, I would think this would be a a pretty good piece of news here. So they're talking about Edge gathering virtual pipelines, the pioneer in delivering low-cost, high-quality LNG to market by converting stranded and flared natural gas has unveiled its new facility in Midland, Texas due to growing demand for its services. The new premises will hold operating equipment of both Edge LNG and Galileo Technologies. These virtual pipelines are really different, man. Yeah, so, tell me about this. This is I'm, I've seen the the term, but I yeah, really understood what it meant. So it's it's clean energy is how they bill it. Okay, and it connects industrial facilities, different municipalities, probably institution type things to you know the big right to the natural gas pipeline through a network of pipeline terminals, trucks and on-site decompression stations, okay? So it's it's kind of that like we, we were just discussing, the all-the-above type mm-hmm. of a thing. It's not all the above, but it's some of the above. We got some trucks here that are going to go and bring LNG, and we've got uh, pipelines, as m- many pipelines as we can have. It sounds like they're, they're repurposing existing infrastructure too. If they can. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically the virtual pipeline, from my understanding, is it's taking modern innovation and leveraging what they can to repurpose what they can that's the most cost effective. Because you got to remember, I mean, natural gas is like three bucks. Yeah. There's no money in it. I mean, there's, there's, they're, they're, literally burning money yeah. they're flaring it but you know like we've seen is there's starting to be a whole new industry of things to capture that flare gas yeah it's, uh, it's, i've been on that soapbox for but i mean eight it, years it, man it seems like that's you know it's nice to see at least from my point of view that to see some some expanding business in the permian you no know, you're here to get me energized again <laughs> because i'm i'm telling you i i've been saying for close to 10 years now that I truly believe if the government is going to be handing out money to the tune they're handing out money mm-hmm. to where they're subsidizing the places that they're subsidizing, natural gas is the smartest, cleanest, most achievable future that we have. Yeah. And I'm not saying to put all your eggs in this basket, but what I'm saying is that if we took half of what we've given solar and wind the last 30 years and just gave it to the natural gas people, we've got people that are not getting subsidies figuring out ways to go mine Bitcoin. We've got people figuring out ways to come up with virtual pipeline systems. And unlock potential stranded wells, right? Exactly. Imagine how many rural businesses and people are able to benefit from something like this when you've got on-site decompression stations. Because a lot of times your, your natural gas and your oil wells are not 
in city limits, no, like nowhere. the example yeah. you're given in downtown L.A. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's pretty rare. I mean, yeah. you know, you drive through Dickinson, North Dakota, you'll see a few. I think those are more... My, um, sort of ornamental. Sort of yeah. ornamental yeah. at this point, yeah. but maybe not. I don't know. I could just see the city leaders. That thing hasn't <laughs> produced one drop of oil in 40 years, but we ain't letting that thing stop. Nah, dude. Plus, no. it's fun to take a picture in front of Well, exactly. It sends a message that what? we are so comfortable with oil yeah. and gas that we actually have one in the middle of our town. Well, and it's, it's, it's pride. It's pride because it puts bread on the table. It's you know? just we accept it. Yeah. Yeah, it's part of our culture for crying exactly. out loud. I yeah. mean, Frutia, Colorado's got like a big giant uh, dinosaur. Yep. So I'm I'm happy with that. I'd go but with an oil derrick myself. No, any anything that you know these these virtual pipelines that is a great collaboration of different ideas. I've seen some people come up with different transmission stations between uh, refineries and and well sites and and different pipeline systems. So any I, hey. I'm just glad somebody broke through and is getting getting by the norm, you know. You know, in some ways you look at you look at innovations like the Bitcoin mining, like what they're talking about here at these virtual pipelines, like uh, you know, being able to to tap into the potential of stranded wells and flare gas and things like that. It's that kind of innovation, you know, that doesn't seem to really ever stop whether there's a Republican or a Democrat or regulation or a lax of regulation. You know, as they continue to move forward and try to find new ways to bring product, right? To how do you make the maximum profit off that? So the the other day, the reason I was kind of uh, pausing for a second before I chimed in was because I knew I saw a news story about the virtual pipeline system, mm-hmm. but I knew it wasn't the Permian. Okay, so and you, so I kind of had to double take, and so I just did a quick Google search. And it's from Iran. Okay, okay. Here's the headline from the Iran. Independent news service. Always okay. interesting news from Iran. Virtual pipeline systems market is expected to rise to an estimated value of USD, United States dollar, 1950.09 by a million. Uh, million? Yeah, million. I don't know what 1950.09 million is. <laughs> I'm not even sure what that is. <laughs> Typo. By 2006. Oh, no, it's correct. Okay. USD. USD 1950.09 million. I mean, there's a lot of people that are in finance right now rolling their eyes at me (laughs) right now, realizing that I just, I just played a few cards I shouldn't have played right there. But no, I used to talking in those kind of numbers, man. Well, you know how it is when you're reading headlines, you just you try to be just word for word vernacular, then you realize, okay, I just sounded like a complete (laughs) moron there. Anyway, so so they're gonna make a lot of money. It's it's looking to rise exponentially. Uh, the virtual pipeline system that's over in Iran. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can see how this is a technology and a formula, or a template that is working across the globe. And when you're dealing with a commodity like hydrocarbons, they don't give a shit about geography. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it works, it works. So good news. That's yeah, good that news. Is, and that's, see, and, that's and who that's, does Edge who? This is Edge LNG. They're also working with Galileo Technologies. So it's an exclusive technology partner to okay. Edge ENG, probably coming up with the um, the capturing hardware or the other things to help tap into those wells. Probably some big business too. Yeah, I'm guessing. You know, and if they're if they're bringing those stranded wells back online, are they able to to create some sort of, uh, gosh, almost like little uh, truck stops, right, where you can utilize the local stuff? That'd be cool. Okay, let's take a look here. I wanted to talk a little bit about pipelines. 
My understanding, too, these virtual pipelines open up new opportunities for small businesses. Too. That's what I would think. That's, that that's my understanding. Have, yeah. You know, a little bit more chaff around for people. It's to get it's into. almost like a little local farmer market. Yeah. You know, yeah. farmer's market, but for. farmer's market, yeah. man. That's awesome. <laughs> we got, hey, there, I Jimmy, bring down. your barrel over. <laughs> the hydrocarbon <laughs> farmer's market. Yep. Okay. All I right. My what's cat next? Gut full of uh, natural gas. Okay. This one's a little bit more of a bummer. U.S. oil and gas fears end of the line for big pipe projects. So as a string of infrastructure projects hit the buffers, America's oil and gas industry is facing up to an uncomfortable new reality. The era of building big new pipelines has probably come to an end. Joe Biden moved quickly last week to cancel the contentious Keystone XL oil pipeline, delivering on a campaign promise to curb emissions and put the clamps on the oil and gas industry's growth. Days later, a federal court in Washington ruled against the Dakota Access Pipeline, another high-profile project that has been fiercely opposed by both Native American and environmental groups. The judge said it needed a new environmental review, putting another big oil infrastructure decision on Mr. Biden's desk. I don't mean to be snarky, and I want to get your take on mm -hmm. this, but my first thought is how much energy and time and actual resource goes into the environmental review? I'd like a review of that. Yeah. <laughs> how many right. plane trips? How many car trips? How many, you know. So, so for me, this has been a, this has been like, I've been, I feel like I've been shouting at a brick wall for, for five years now. So a lot of these news stories, I'm just kind of done with because the way that I've won awards in my past and the way that I've been able to be a journalist and the way that I've been able to do my business is to stay ahead of the conversation. Okay. Well, to be thinking more big picture long-term, right? right? You stay, you know, what's next. Yeah, what's and, next? and if you notice a lot of times when I interview people, that's how I always end. What's next? What, because you, you want to in with anything, you want to motivate people for the call to action. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when back in 2000 and, 15, when I was talking about pipeline issues, nobody was listening. Nobody cared. Well, no, because at that point, it was just about... It, it was, wasn't until You were either pro-protest or anti-protest. No, 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 nobody took it serious. Well, no, nobody thought DAPL was going to happen. Nobody thought that was going to happen. So nobody took anybody serious. Hmm. And then it happened. Okay. Now it's, everything's been a reaction ever since. Yeah. Okay. In the same way after the BP spill happened in the Gulf, there's still PR reaction based on that. They're still using those photos mm -hmm. in their PR campaigns. Okay. Okay. So, all right. Now. Was it Jack Donaghy said about the BP spill that nobody thanked them for helping lubricate the Gulf of Mexico? Right. Yeah. It, it, it lubricated the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> Freedom juicing, We man. were just talking to, uh, was it Terry Edom? So, okay, what I'm this. getting at is that I'm, I'm looking at what's next here. And what's next is, is that the environmentalists are circling the wagons in ways I've they, they've got it already circled. So what do you do? Well, now I guess it's time to fight crazy with crazy. So I love your freedom juicing idea. Okay. Mm -hmm. I really think that we can probably figure out ways to get that into popular culture. 
you know, okay. it's, a, it's a ridiculous term, but that's the whole idea is that I think it needs to embrace it because it, it needs to educate people. You want to get rid of this stuff? Okay, well, we need to get rid of your insulation and your heating and your clothing. And, you know, I mean, I, I tried using the toothbrush and toothpaste analogy. Yeah. That wasn't connecting. Yeah. Okay. I watched millions of dollars get poured into people adults trying to educate kids on fossil fuels by showing them cars and bikes and things that didn't have fossil fuels. They didn't care. They felt like they were being lectured. Okay. That wasn't connecting either. I now know what I'm going to do. I now know how I'm going to connect. Okay. Yoga pants. Number one is yoga pants. Okay. You've got my attention. I'm no, not only, Hey guys, yoga pants is going away. Hey girls, yoga pants is going away. Okay, there's a reason they like wearing yoga pants. The same reason guys like when they wear yoga pants, okay? I'm going to call a spade a spade on this one, pal. (laughs) Right, they're comfortable. comfortable. What else would it be? They look good on everybody. Number two, sushi. I want to eat sushi. Nah, you don't want fresh sushi without hydrocarbons. I I want to be able to... live on the ocean, man. I want to know that if I'm landlocked in the middle of North Dakota, I can eat sushi... And not have a big kimchi. Hey, and we can even be a little bit more simple than that. It's windy and about negative five outside right now, and we are sitting inside at about sixty-eight degrees. Don't go live in a mud home, right? Okay, are I we mean, comfy? With li- our- no, that, we, we we've tried that. We've tried to bring up the siding and the house and the heating. That's Doesn't not connecting. Work. Nobody cares. Well, take away the phones, Dude, man. This is this is the same thing the farmers went through when the grocery store took them out. Mm. Everybody's just started saying, oh, farmers, what do we need them for? Go to the grocery store. The light fixture, the light switch took out the energy worker. Okay. You got the president of the, the flipping president of the United States is saying, bye-bye, go make solar panels. Okay. Can the message be any louder and clear? Everybody's still golfing and going to and dicking around when the president's trying to ban you. Mm-hmm. What do you? Anyway, I, how do you respond to that? Do you think? Do you think the Dakota Access Pipeline is ever going to go? Or do you think third it's, do you thing? Think it gets shut down. Third thing, I said three things: okay. yoga pants, sushi. I've never gone on a tirade like that yeah, on sushi. And I pretty much checked out on yoga pants. Number three, I like the idea of of if you're going to protest, go protest the old pipelines sure. to get redone. Yeah. Forget the new pipeline protest. That's old news, man. I, I, I ain't going to accept that. If, if, if you're seriously a true environmentalist, by the way, I challenge anybody listening to be more of an environmentalist than I, okay? I adopted a highway in 2004 by myself. It's adorable, too. He keeps it at home. It's really cute. Go ahead and my diet. <laughs> I challenge you with my diet, environmentalist. I'm more of an environmentalist than... of the environmentalists. Ed Bagley Jr., you got me. Dude, you got me. You live in a garbage hut, and you drive a garbage car, and and you you, you walk the walk and talk the talk. That's right. He's got that little scooter powered by his good intentions. He's he's a certified nut job that I totally respect, dude. Well, you know, that's the problem is we're talking about essentially dick size when we talk about I'm more of an environmentalist or I'm more of a pro-oil and gas. It doesn't mean anything when it comes to 
are you attacking or, or taking away jobs? You know, I mean, that kind of stuff. That's the conversation we need to be having. Well, I look at it this way. Where, like I said, so to me, if you're a true environmentalist, go protest that the government spends money to fix the old pipelines and cap the abandoned wells. I would love to see some more no, no, make protesting your, on infrastructure. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, man. And, and all the bridges. And we, we bring up Minneapolis all the time. There were school kids on that bus yeah. when, the bri- when the bridge collapsed. Yeah. A bridge collapsed after years and years of warnings that these infrastructures are old, this and that. That's why I'm telling you. For me... I'm grabbing a hold of the narrative again. Mm-hmm. And part of that narrative that I'm grabbing is I'm not allowing these protesters to go protest anything that's not built. They can go protest the stuff that needs to be rebuilt and they can use government money to do it because we're going to put more money back into the oil and gas industry because these environmentalists have sucked too much out in their legal battles. I'm getting pissed now. Yeah, you're getting up. I'm getting really I'm pissed over off soapbox, here. Guys. Well, you said dick and that got me mad because, Sorry. you know, it's... We're trying Radio, to, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's Oh, and actually, we're a podcast. So we can say whatever we want. Okay. You can always bleep. I figured I, you had a bleeper. I, I drop an S-bomb, which is... <laughs> I was actually thinking about that the other day. We, we should do a segment on new swear words. Because I heard a couple words come out of my, my son last, yeah. uh, with his games yep. You know that are not PC, that they could never say in public. But he'll go in public and say shit. Right. And I'm going, oh, man, I would have got my mouth rinsed oh, out. Oh, dude. Wait, I did yeah. get my mouth rinsed out by liquid soap, oh, not the man. bar soap, oh. liquid soap, okay? Ooh. See, now so, my favorite was lava. But when you think about what the new F word is, mm-hmm. it's probably not the F word. No. The F word's probably pretty okay to say. That's pretty tame now. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's new ones like R's and N's and new 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 <laughs> ones that come in. Seriously, those are the new hardcores. You know, I got a teenager too, and occasionally I'll hear some screaming coming out of that room, and I, I have to look it up. Like, right? I'm like, I'm like <laughs> go to the slang dictionary online, you know? Wait, that's Dutch. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> How does it's that like, get in there? I just want to make sure he hasn't joined a gang, you know? That's Icelandic? It. What's happening there? So. So, do we have another news, or is that it, or what's well, going actually, on? Because I had, we're, I had we're one more story. Over, so. It's 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 totally off of the off the reservation. But Better the other be. day, you know, we've been talking about like things that are going away or have been difficult to find during the pandemic, right? Toilet paper, this and that. Apparently, another thing that has been really hard to find lately is grape nuts. You remember the grape nuts cereal? Oh yeah, grape nuts. Been around yeah. apparently since about the 1840s. Didn't really expire. I think some of the stuff that's in the boxes has been around since the 1840s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So apparently it has neither grape nor nuts, but has been in short demand. Uh, and it has nothing to do with the fact that everybody loves it so much as apparently it's really complicated process to make this stuff, right? Grape nuts? Grape nuts. It's a proprietary process. It's an extremely labor intensive now, I can only imagine having eaten grape nuts as a child because it was the only sweet thing my grandmother had in her house, that it must start off as a large block of granite that is then pulverized slowly down to a piece you can fit in your mouth. But isn't grape nuts made out of food? It's made out of flour and some other stuff, but okay. there's no grape or nuts. No, but isn't it this brand, right? It is a food. It's just a bunch of brand, it's right? A, yeah, it is a food. It's, so It was a... It was a it was designed essentially as a uh, a dry item to be eaten in a wet climate, like a jungle or something like that. So a dry a jungle ration was what it was used for a lot of times. In the are you for real? I'm for real. I checked this stuff out, man. So 
it's you know it's like spam it's its own spam right Grape Dear nuts. Lord, what does that do? You know, in your no gut? matter what you put in what's, grape nuts, what's, what happens in your stomach with that? Then, <laughs> well, that was the thing, man. It was like, uh, it's like gravel. It is. It is like gravel. It's like well, spiky yeah. or eating thumbtacks, sandblasting. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But my grandparents lived by it. I'm guessing it had some sort of uh, restorative or cleansing property to it. I mean, was it like an army thing, like spam? No, no. But it it, had, it sort of took on that. Uh, it got used in that kind of way, you know, because like spam, it was a easy to preserve meat. Well, the, yeah, this it was, was an easy to preserve. Spam was ready it to had, go out of business. It had protein. It had it had things that it was like a trail mix, basically. Yeah. Know? Wow, that's interesting. A lot yeah. of. But you know, when I think of things that are in short supply in the store, and I have run into some weird things up here. You know, all of a sudden there's no hot dog buns or something like that. But I never would have thought grape nuts. No, I would. I mean, Captain Crunch, Cocoa Puffs, sure. No, in fact, it's between grape nuts and kasha and whatever the other weird hippie kasha. twig oh, man. twig cereal they put together is. I always look at, well, nobody's bought them. Yeah, and no amount of honey can make that cereal taste good. I've tried. Oh, that's You know, just, you get one of those honey bears, you're... I, yeah, it's like the old uh, big bales of wheat. There was nothing that could make that stuff good. And, yeah. the, and the wheat would just turn soggy in 30 seconds. The grape nuts would be hard... Until literally in a second, it would go soggy. Like it'd be hard for a half an hour and then boom, because you crack your tooth on that thing. I had a girlfriend once that, uh, that ate that Keisha breakfast stuff, but she put chocolate milk in it. Oh, she sees she's trying to cheat and make it palatable. <laughs> See, and I was like, you know, when you cheat like that, it's a binary choice. You're either cheating or you're not. Come Just on. go get the Captain Crunch and right? be done, yeah, with, be it, done with it, which is exactly what I was <laughs> You don't want breakfast? <laughs> And that's the news. (laughs) We got to take a quick break. Oh, no, that's it. Play hard coming up next. Music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life with Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. If you want to look at America, you go to Permian and the Bakken, and, and that's what America should be, united as one. And that's exactly what we are. And, and then, you know, that's what I love about the oil and gas industry. One county in Kansas, one single county, produced 9% of the world's oil. That was an oil that won World War One, As the British said from the floor of Parliament, the Allies floated to victory on a sea of oil. Works picked up here in the Permian Basin. Yeah, leadership really needs to take a look at how we've been doing things and constantly make changes in how we can do things better. If 
commodities are always, 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 any commodity business, whether it's milk or whether it's oil or whether it's apples, they always are boom or bust because the solution to low prices is high prices. The solution to high prices is, you know, is high prices. It's a big issue. You know, it's kind of red riding hood syndrome here. People making out the industry to be the big bad wolf. And on top of that, you know, you would get a nice increase in pay, as I'm sure most of us all know, when you move to oil field areas, you get a, a nice little bump in pay. After him and I having five margaritas over at the Cork and Pig, I called my boyfriend and I was like, hey, do you want to move to Texas? And he was like, yeah, when, when are we moving? <laughs> and honestly, we moved about a month after that. This oil and gas industry, I've met some of the best people I've ever met in my life doing this. Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. This is Lauren Scott. Thank you very much for joining us today. Of course, Mr. Lauren Scott is a professor. Is it, how do you pronounce that word? Emer, P- professor? Emeritus. 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 Yeah, it's a, Latin, it's a Latin word that means small interior office. It's one of those words that I struggle trying to say it the first time, but once I hear it, then it just flows easy, and I, I just trip trip up every now and then. And that's at Louisiana State University, of course. You, you help out uh, write a lot of the economic forecasts for the state, and you fold in a lot of the oil and gas uh, activity. That's why we wanted to bring you on today to talk a little bit about, you know, just what is going on here when it comes to either North America or from a global standpoint, and then also down in your neck of the woods. But just kind of your reaction out of the gate on these Biden executive orders and how they might affect either the industry or down in Louisiana? Well, I mean, the industry is uh, really in for it. If you look at what has happened, this is amazing what has happened in only two weeks, Uh, starting with the person that uh, the president wants to nominate as his interior secretary, Deb Halen. Uh, Halen is uh, on the record as being uh, wanting to ban fracking. She's on record of being in favor of the, the Green New Deal. She's on record of wanting to get rid of the internal combustion engine. Uh, so you, you're starting with somebody who's going to be a very strong adversary of the industry, of being in charge of all the permitting and the lease sales and that sort of thing uh, on the public lands and waters uh, in the United States. So this is that's a tough thing. And then you have the president, first day, saying he was putting a moratorium on any new permits in on public lands and waters. And then he came out with another uh, moratorium on any lease sales uh, in the Gulf of Mexico for a year. And then on the day that he was inaugurated, the acting interior secretary issued a, uh, a, a, a what is called Secretarial Order 3395. This was an order that revoked, uh, called a revocation of authority. And basically what that means is that for, you know, decades, uh, what happens is when you, the Secretary of Interior delegates down to the career staffers in the BSEE uh, and BOEM, the Old Mineral Management Service, he, they delegated down to them the, uh, the uh, examination of all, per, all permit applications and lease sales and that sort of thing. And uh, they just delegated that authority down there to people who, this was their job. This is their their background. Well, uh, the acting secretary on the very first day of the inauguration revoked that delegation of authority. Now, any 
new permit for the next 60 days, uh, any application, etc., has to go not only through those people, but through nine political appointees, one of nine political appointees, I should say. So once again, guess who's going to appoint the political appointees? <laughs> They're going to be people that are very anti-fossil fuels. So this is only in place for 60 days. So we'll see by the end of March just how bad this is going to be. But I mean, that is a lot. I mean, that is a, it's like somebody took a machine gun full of rules and just pulled the trigger back and aimed it right at the oil and gas industry. And bum, 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 bum. We've really just taken it on the chin. Uh, in the first uh, in the first two weeks of this administration, well, so it's 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 a tough tough outlook for the future with that in hand. I, I can remember you and I discussing a lot of the uh, climate activism and the rise of it as much as five years ago, and just following that, now layer in the polarization that's happening in the political world. Have you ever in your professional career? Either in, in any industry, ever seen such a thing like this? I, I mean, the only thing I can relate it to is the tobacco industry back in the nineties. Uh, yeah, or coal. Uh, coal, coal came under, yeah. you know, very much came under uh, 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 under attack under the Obama administration. Of course, that was that, and it was it was a, it was a strong hit to that industry. It's going to be different though when you come to oil and gas. I mean, the idea that you can do away. That you keep fossil fuels in the ground, you, 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 a person who believes that can't possibly have looked at the information and the data on that. Well, that uh, for example, if you you want to say we're going to do all renewables, we're going to drive electric cars, where do you think the tires come from that are in that electric car? As a matter of fact, I think a lot of people will be stunned to learn that only forty percent of the oil is used for transportation. When you got up and shaved this morning, you used shaving cream. You you brushed your teeth with toothpaste and a toothbrush. You combed your hair with a comb. You washed your hair with shampoo. You took a baby vitamin. All of those things, you put on lipstick. All of those things have oil in them. Have the petro They're petroleum-based. Uh, the detergent you use to wash your clothes. Uh, the, if you're taking notes on this uh, on this interview, the ballpoint pen has oil product in it the number of items the, the milk the, the jug that your milk comes in this is made from an oil pro, oil based product it, it, the idea that you can just leave the stuff in the ground is silly it is flat silly and so these 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 keep it in the ground the united states rules may, may work in the united states all we're going to end up doing is getting the oil from someplace else we're going to end up giving the saudis all these profits instead of our own people, these profits. It's really, really crazy. Dr. Lauren Scott is our guest. Uh, I did want to ask you about the disconnect because I've been trying to figure this out for a while. And, you know, I, I was trying the same thing as you, uh, d daily examples. And I tried the toothbrush example, you know, the toothbrush to the toothpaste to the tooth, tooth, you know, the package it comes in to how it got to your house. And people, people just don't, it just doesn't seem to care. So when I look at leadership, that's why leaders are supposed to be in place. They're supposed to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff. You know, they're supposed to separate the crazy from the not crazy. And so when it, when I look at and I I'm, and I'm trying to take politics out and I'm trying to be sterile. And I know that's hard to do because people get caught up on so many trigger things. But what we're talking about is ninety three to ninety six percent 
of our daily lives rely, rely on fossil fuels. So let's just round down to 90%. We'll give, we'll, we'll just be conservative. At 90%, if our daily lives rely on fossil fuels, and I'm 45 years old, if I were to live another 45 years, if we were to decrease that down to 70%, okay, that's only a 20% reduction. To me, that would seem aggressive. That would seem like an incredible feat as a society that we could do. Am, am I out of line for that 20% over the next 20, 30 years, or is that pretty normal, I guess? I really just don't think this is going to happen, period. I mean, <laughs> I, well, look, I mean, look at the, uh, for example, a lot of people just want to go to all electric vehicles. As a matter of fact, here's an interesting fact for your, for your listeners. In, uh, the, the United Kingdom, the, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom said, we're going to do away with all internal combustion engines in England uh, by 2030. Well, so they're going to go. They're going to convert all their vehicles to electric. Now, to do that, uh, there, there's some interesting work done by the head of the uh, 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 Natural Museum in London that found that to do that, you would have to use one third of the excuse me, one half of the current world production of copper you would have to use 100 percent of the world's production of neodymium which is one of the metals that goes into the batteries you would have to use three quarters of all the lithium produced in the world that's just to convert england's vehicles and england has one ninth the number of vehicles that the united states have to so to convert us all you're going to have to scalp the surface of the earth to get to these metals. If all those metals are available, you're going to have to scalp the earth and to, to do that. And then you're going to have to drive these vehicles on rubber tires and all the plastic that is in that car. Uh, you know, when you filled your, uh, your uh, windshield whopper, washer fluid container up, look at that windshield washer container. It's made out of plastic. All that plastic in your car is a is a petroleum based product so the idea that we can just switch we can do away with the internal combustion engine you can't possibly have looked at the math and you can't possibly have looked at what it's going to require in terms of metals and you can't possibly frankly have looked at what it's going to do to the uh the environment from the scalping of the earth and the and all the graders and things like that that dig this stuff up compared to just using fossil fuels and so it's and plus there, there's another couple of other important things when the when the when the when the uh, the lower and middle class find out what a what an electric car cost you know you can basically get two toyota corollas for a, the cost of a chevy Volt. uh when they find out what it costs to do that when people find out what it's going to be like to take a family vacation to North Dakota or to South Dakota, see the, from, from Louisiana, and how many times you're going to have to stop and spend the night because you've got to recharge your car, something that you can fill up in five minutes at 115,000 service stations in the United States. You're going to have to stop, first of all, and find a place you can plug yours in, and then you're going to have to wait you know, several hours for it to recharge. I mean, really, are people really going to do that? I mean, when faced with reality, I just really don't think this is going to work. 
What I think is interesting too, and I'd love to know your perspective on this, is just the real kind of the the backroom deals and the 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 hidden, you know, the the thing that nobody talks about. And the example I always give is up in North Dakota that you know we had or we do, if not more. 55% of our state budget, you know, the education. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's tied to oil and those two taxes, the, the extraction tax and, oh, yeah. and the production tax. So yeah. we've got 50, and that doesn't include all the guys coming in from out of state buying hunting and fishing licenses and vehicle renews and, and sales tax and all that other stuff. That's just the straight budget, 55%. So I've seen, mm. I've seen some studies that say that there's a, you know, 60 plus percent reliance on the oil and gas industry. So, you know, when, when a lot of this uh, COVID money comes in and a few other things, they were making damn sure the state that those rigs did not go below five or zero because, you know, that's hard to get the people back. And yeah. Yeah, so just how, how did you look at some of this COVID money being played into uh, the oil and gas industry, uh, an industry traditionally not very prideful on accepting, you know, dollars, but, you know, some states kind of backed them into particular, you know, situations and things like that, so. Well, down here, of course, we're, we're a big oil and gas state. We're a big refining state, by the way. And if I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to your question in just a second, but before I do that, I'm going to talk for just a minute about the school support and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, if you if you go to all electric, the other thing that's going to go away are your refineries. So if you if you go to, we have parish, we're the only state in the nation that has parishes instead of counties. If you go to any parish in which there is a refinery, almost without exception, the number one top property taxpayer uh, in the area is the refinery. Uh, uh, like, for, for example, uh, Exxon Refinery, uh, we have an Exxon Refinery located here in East Baton Rouge Parish. They, they are the number one taxpayer by a mile over the number two taxpayer, which is our big energy corporation, Intergy, it's called Intergy Corporation, they provide electricity and gas uh, to households around here. Uh, so they're the number one, they provide $30 million a year into our uh, local government budgets mainly to schools. And uh, so if you suddenly just do away with those refineries, well, how in the heck are you going to support the schools? As a matter of fact, the primary way that the repair and the maintenance of your roads and bridges is from the gasoline tax. So what are you, what are you going to do about that when you switch to all electric vehicles, which is just, I think is impossible. But suppose you did do that. And you're, there's no longer any gasoline tax. How are you going to finance the maintenance, repair, and the building of your of your roads? That is just going to be that's. I, I don't. I'm not sure. You just need to think that somehow or another you're going to have to come up with a replacement uh, for that. Now, with, with, with regard to the the COVID payments in in Louisiana, virtually every industry, uh, whether you're directly in the oil and gas extraction, or whether you are. Uh, uh, in a, an associated industry like you provide, uh, you, you work the boats that supply the offshore oil industry, or you're in a, uh, a, manufa- a fabrication business that provides equipment to them, etc. Those are all, were all basically from the outset uh, considered to be uh, uh, considered to be uh, essential industries. So the people kept working. At number two, they made a whole lot more money 
working uh, in their industry than they would uh, uh, being unemployed and getting the supplement. Now, other industries like our convention business was exactly the opposite, or the restaurant business, exactly the opposite. A lot of people could make a lot more money staying unemployed and uh, getting unemployment plus that supplement. And so that was a real problem for the for the restaurant industry, the hotel industry, the whole hospitality industry when it came to staying open during this time period. Climate activism was another thing that I wanted to ask you about is obviously there's there's been an increase on the pipelines. We've seen the executive orders. I'd love to know your opinion on the executive orders. But We've stopped using the word environmentalists. We use the word climate activism or climate activists now because, quite honestly, I adopted a highway back in 2004, and I can, I'll can i go toe-to-toe with any environmentalist all day long, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to win that battle. So I consider myself more of an environmentalist than anybody, a lot of people. So that's why we switched the word. The other, the other um, kind of narrative we're trying to grab back is you know, if they're going to protest these pipelines, let's let's see if we can have them protest maybe some of these these old pipelines that need to be replaced and bridges and roads because these are critical infrastructure that needs to be redone. And so, if we're going to exert our energy, the new pipelines are actually making the world a better place and they're cleaner. So, do you see my irony there? That if we're going to be yeah, protesting, yeah. maybe we should switch the argument for these guys. Well, I think you're, but, but you have to, I think you got to back up uh, uh, several steps. And that is, if you are a real strong a- a- uh, activist, if you, if you, if you have a very strong belief in uh, climate change, whatever that phrase means, and if you're a very strong uh, advocate that this is an existential crisis that we're facing, we're, the, the earth is about to go away, it's, it's more of a religion to you. So your whole position is, that you are, you want to keep fossil fuels in the ground. And if you keep fossil fuels in the ground, one of the ways you can do that also is by stopping pipelines. And, and you know, I will tell you right now that the pipeline business, which is, uh, is a very big business in our state, we, we not only make pipe, we coat pipe, we put pipe in the ground. We have a lot of companies that do that. Uh, our state has enough pipelines under under Louisiana to circle the globe four and a half times. I mean, we have a lot of pipelines down here, no problem with them. But if you want to stop any, uh, stop drilling activity as much as you can, one of the ways to do that is to stop pipelines. Um, and, And they've got a very good way to do that. Because if you are, for example, in the state of Texas and you're, you're developing like crazy the Permian Basin, and you want to run a pipeline from uh, Wink, Texas, down to Webster, Texas, uh, you might say, well, this is all going over private land. This is no problem for us. we got the Texas Railroad Commission on our side. This is great, except for one thing. Every time you cross a waterway, uh, a river, a babbling brook, a lake, you have to get a special permission and a special permit from the Army Corps. Well, once the Army Corps... Uh, gets under this administration and gets under the power of this administration, they've got you. You're not going to be able to get a permit. So a lot of the pipelines are just not only the ones that are underway and want to keep going, but anybody thinking about building a new one right now under this during this administration, I just think are going to. I just think that's going to come to a screeching halt. Uh, 
and that in turn will back up and make it very difficult to uh, to develop uh, uh, oil and natural gas activity, especially natural gas is going to be a problem uh, because there's just not enough pipelines to get the stuff out from where it is. So the pipeline business is in trouble. Imagine the flaring is going to increase then because of this too then. A lot of these pipelines, man, they had projections to reduce this flaring by double digits as soon as these pipelines went on board. So it just seems like that's kind of causing a problem, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it'll, it will increase the desire to want to flare. But if, you, if they get also uh, start getting power within the state government, like uh, within the, the Texas Railroad Commission or your own regulatory body, uh, there in North Dakota, if they can put the quietus on uh, on uh, flaring natural gas, then effectively what you're doing is you're stopping the production of oil, too. Mm-hmm. Anytime you produce oil, you're producing associated natural gas, right? And you've got to do something with that stuff. And you can put oil on a, uh, you can put oil on a train or in a truck and somehow or another get it down to the Gulf Coast. But that's not the case in natural gas. Natural gas has always been our problem if there's not enough pipelines to get it out of there. If well, you don't have it in North Dakota, for sure. No, and, you know, it's it's too bad that uh, we can't get some more money or subsidize. Or I, I don't know. I've, I've said for a while now, listen, I know the oil and gas industry is not big on subsidies and everything else. But if, if we're going to be giving out the amount of subsidies that we're given to the wind and solar people who really, in my, from what I've seen, haven't hit a mark, haven't hit their milestones in 30 years. And now we're continuing to give the same people who make six, seven figures a year, not hit their milestones, and we believe them. And then all this other stuff happens. In the meantime, we've got all these just crazy capitalists camping out at these well pads, mining Bitcoin, figuring out ways to turn super plastic out of gas, I would love to see the, these natural gas entrepreneurs get, uh, get, you know, get some wild card money to see if we can't figure out a, a new use for this natural gas. I don't know what your feeling is on that, but uh, well, uh, if, if the price gets low enough, they will. I mean, there's there's plenty of use for it right now. Uh, there's uh, now I'm very familiar with this because of where I live, and that is. In the last several years, when the price of oil dropped down to three or under three dollars per million BTU, one of the things that happened was there was a just an enormous movement of chemical firms uh, to uh, the the the, uh, the 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 Gulf the Gulf Coast, especially in Louisiana and in Southeast Texas. Just a humongous increase. Uh, for example, we would, uh, I've been forecasting Louisiana economy for 40 years, as it turns out. And uh, in a really good year in the past, if we'd had $3 billion in industrial announcements in our state, we'd have thought that was really great. At one point, we had, we had $120 billion in announcements. And the reason they were coming here is because the, they, they make stuff out of natural gas. You know, the fertilizer that you people use up there is made out of natural gas. Uh, all kinds of stuff. Plastics are made out of natural gas. Uh, uh, pharmaceuticals are made out of natural gas. And so what was happening is the price of natural gas in Europe and Asia, where you have a lot of chemical firms, was four or five times higher than it was in Louisiana or Texas. 
And so what was happening is the firms were relocating from Europe and Asia down to the Gulf Coast, down here in uh, southeast Texas and in Louisiana. And so they're, they're eating up that natural gas. They're starting to use that natural gas. And then, because it's so cheap, one of the things that has been booming down here in about the last eight or nine years has been LNG export terminals. We are building LNG export terminals like crazy down here to liquefy that natural gas, take it in as a gas, liquefy it, bring it to one six hundredth of its volume, put it on a big LNG tanker, ship it to Asia or ship it to um, to uh, Europe, where they then receive it and regasify it, and you know sell it as natural gas to power plants or or whatever. And, and, and the reason they're able to do that, make it here, go through that whole process, is because the, it's still going to be cheaper than what it is, what it's going to be in those countries if they have to import it by, by uh, pipeline from, say, Russia or bring it in from the Middle East. It's, our, our gas is real cheap. So when it's real cheap, they'll start figuring out other uses for it. Well, you answered my question about the foreign companies investing in the Gulf Shore because I know you've been tracking that for a while, and yeah. and I think that's a very important thing that uh, that a lot of people in the oil and gas industry need to understand is that you know it's cheaper over to just relocate your company over to America than it is to sure. ship it over there. So, um, oh yeah, companies like Shintech and uh, BASF from Europe. Shintech from, I believe it's a Japanese company. Uh, we've had a couple of uh, Chinese companies, uh, Yuan Chemical, coming here to make methanol here, to take, make methanol out of natural gas, put that all that methanol to ship, and ship every bit of it over to China, as it turns out. There, you have companies doing that all over the place here now. That's that's incredible. Um, what, what's next for oil and gas? I mean, everybody's talking about optimism, and everybody's talking about you know the, the rebound and, and everything else. But at some point, the, the 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 government stimulus checks have to stop. People have to get back to work. And my guess is, when people actually you know get back to work a little bit, that the, the industry should pick up a little bit. I, I guess I don't even know. I don't even can the is the economy beyond repair at this point or what? No, I think that I think the economy will. It, the underlying economy is basically before this coronavirus hit. The other, the underlying economy was very good. There were no bubbles out there in the real estate or tech industry, or anything like that. The if you if you went back to January a year ago and look at the forecast, everybody's forecasting, hey, we're getting ready to enter a really good 2020. 2020 should be very good, and then boom, the coronavirus hit. So. The basic foundation of the economy, I think, is still very good. And so uh, as we get the, the, the vaccination out there, uh, as we get, thank God we have, the, people don't really appreciate how fast this got to market. Prior to this, the fastest we ever got a, a COVID vaccination to the market was the one for the mumps. That took four stinking years. This came about in less than a year. It's just amazing that they did this. Now we've got to get everybody vaccinated. Once we get everybody vaccinated, we get the herd immunity, and people start traveling and you know being comfortable around crowds and stuff like that again. I think the economy will come back, but it's not going to come back to great growth. And it's not going to come back to great growth, A, because you are going to be trying to kill a key industry in the state. You cannot kill, you cannot put the quietus on the oil and gas industry. 
without losing lots of jobs. The second thing is this is going to be an administration just like the Obama administration, but on steroids when it comes to regulations. We've already seen more regulations in two weeks than most most things, most people get announced in a year. We got it in two weeks. There's going to be regulations like crazy coming out. And you may think, well, we need those regulations. There's not enough of you. There's a lot of ill out here that we need to fix. But you need to understand something that from a firm's standpoint, the more regulations they face, as we say in principles of economics, their cost curves shift upward. And when their cost curves shift upward, they hire fewer people and produce less output. And so if you look, I mean, our, our kind of example of this was the Obama administration. If you look at the number of pages added to the Federal Registry between 1960 and, 19, and, and 2016, you know, what is that, four, four, uh, 60 years of data, you will find that the seven of the ten largest years of additions to the Federal Registry were during the Obama administration. And the highest year of any, of any administration ever in adding pages to the Federal Registry was the last year of the Obama administration. And as a result, if you look at all the boom periods that our country has been through since World War II, the one during the Obama administration was the slowest of any we've had since World War II. I mean, the, it, you know, you have more regulations, which means more costs, less output, less people. But the second thing you have is you don't know what the heck is coming out next. And when you have uncertainty about regulations, you put your hand around your billfold and you hang on. You don't make investments in your firm. You don't expand. You, you, you don't know what the heck is coming next. So you stop. So I, I think we're going to have some good growth numbers as everybody start getting back to normal again. But once we get back to normal, I think on the other side of that, prepare yourself for really slow growth, if any. Music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Life 
with Jason Spies. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can see for my 20 companies, they take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota United States Senate. I'm Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> the Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with the chairwoman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Christy Craddock. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Commissioner Christy Craddock, right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. If you go back to where we were a year ago in the country, right, we were all kind of rocking along knowing COVID may be out there, and it really hit Texas at about, I call it spring break, because I happen to be on spring break with my daughter. And so uh, mid-March for Texas, we uh, realized COVID was going to be a bigger challenge in this in this state than anybody had hoped, and obviously in the country and now around the world. And so we had been producing in this state 4.2 million barrels of oil a day, plus another almost would get us almost to 5 million barrels a day if you looked at our our liquids. Um, we were at all-time highs in 2019, and we were watching industry slightly reset in the fact that, um, that there was a lot of production going on. They were trying to make sure they could sell it on the worldwide market. And so two things happened simultaneously in the oil and gas industry, if you go back about 10 months ago, one, OPEC got into their own fight, Saudi Arabia and Russia. And the second thing that happened was COVID. And so between those two, obviously, the price of oil starts dropping and we see a lot more challenges in the state. And at that point, again, go back to mid-March last year, we had a couple of companies file an a, a application for us to look at uh prorationing in the state again. So let me give you a little background on prorationing. When I said we were what OPEC is based on, if you think about OPEC, they tell their membership how much they can produce. Now, they don't ever keep to it. That's another problem. But how much they can produce a month and sell. So, right, that's kind of the basics of OPEC. So, And that's what Texas, as the Lord, at the time, the largest operator in the country and, frankly, in the world, up through the early 1970s, we had 
our individual operators come in monthly and we would say, you can produce this much out of that well or out of that field or, or, and it kind of varied, but basically you can produce that much and we, we would tell you how much each well could produce. And so we had done, we did that for years and it started way back in the thirties, went all the way through the forties when Texas was sending over about 25% of our oil went overseas during World War II to um, help our, our, our allies during that time period. And we did it up through 1973. To listen to the full-length interview with the chairwoman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Chrissy Craddock, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our morning show, Play Hard, Work Hard, and our social media pages. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. Play hard, work hard.